You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We are quickly coming to the end of our study in the Minor Prophets. Um, Last week we were uh, in the book of Haggai, which is, uh, I told you last week, uh, one of the three in our series of Minor Prophets that deal with the time after the exile to Babylon. And so a lot of what we've been looking at over the past several weeks uh, were warnings and uh, prophecies regarding the punishment that was going to come upon the people of Israel for their sin, and uh, God was going to bring them into a state of exile through uh, this rising army. And so now we're jumping ahead to after that fact. Um, And so we're seeing uh, the people coming back to the promised land, back to their home, and, and having to rebuild and put the pieces back together. And so last week, we saw from the book of Haggai that they had gone through this big, massive change in their culture, in their schedule, in their habits. They had been removed from their norm and, and were put into uh, a different culture, a different country, a different setting. And, and now they were being brought back, and they had been very diligent to rebuild their way of life from a physical standpoint, uh, but had not been as intentional from the spiritual side of things, right? And so we talked about how Haggai addresses the fact that their, their homes looked beautiful, right? They had really invested in rebuilding their homes, and yet the temple still stood, um, or, or still did not stand, um, and it was in, it was in its rubble, its state of rubble. And so um, Haggai's like, look, we have got to get back to rebuilding the spiritual aspects of our life with the same intentionality that we're showing from the physical side of things, right? And so we said that part of the reason they had delayed in rebuilding the temple is they had gotten used to life without it, right? They had just gotten used to life without the temple. They had been gone for 70 plus years and it just wasn't something that they immediately felt like they had to have back in their life because they had adjusted to worshiping without um, some of the things that God had instructed them with. And so we said that rebuilding the temple was a significant move for them because it communicated an um, intentional desire for, for God to be supreme once again in their life, that there wasn't anything magical about the structure, that God had kind of downplayed the structure previously, uh, but it was more the, the intentionality uh, behind the rebuilding of the temple was going to communicate something from their hearts, uh, that they still wanted and valued God in their lives, that uh, he was a higher priority than everything else clamoring for their attention. Um, it would indicate to others around them that God wasn't out of business, right? That he was important to these people and that they had a desire to carry out their covenant responsibilities, right? And so we used that and kind of flipped it on ourselves because we've been in a, a, a situation that kind of parallels and mirrors some of this, right? Not to the same degree or to the same level or even for the same reasons, but we too have been removed from our norm, We've been uh, in a state where our schedules have been disrupted, right? Our, our, our culture has been uh, different than what we are used to. And in some ways, we're, 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 we're making adjustments come, either coming out of this or just readjusting to what normal life is going to look like now moving forward. Um, and so my big challenge to you last week was we can't, we can't err on the side of putting our, our, our stuff back together from a physical side of things if we're not going to be intentional on the spiritual side. Um, and I cautioned you last week that I would never, uh, at, this, at least at this point, try to push you into doing something that you wouldn't be comfortable with from a health standpoint. But what I did want you to help, help you see last week is that as we make moves and efforts in other areas of our life to come out of this state of quarantine, to come out of this uh, 
state of, um, you know, kind of changing our schedules, that we would first be intentional with the spiritual side. The spiritual side would at least mirror match the same efforts that we're putting forth from the physical side of things. And so hopefully you've been able to ponder some of that and even think through what does that look like for you? Um, That as you get more and more comfortable with going out and being in restaurants and participating in activities, um, that you would make sure that that parallels your involvement within the local church once again, right? We had our first Friday night football game at Trinity on Friday night, and, and it was more like normal than uh, maybe, maybe even I was comfortable with. Um, but what it does communicate to me is that there are people who are making efforts to come out. Uh, but what can't be the case is for people to be there Friday night and to be not in the local church today for uh, fear of safety, right? Like, like we, have to, we have to rebuild the spiritual side of things far more intentionally than we would the social and the, and the, the earthly type things, right? And I think that's what Haggai's message was. Hey, don't put your house back together before you put God's house back together. Not because the building was important, right? But it did give them the context for carrying out their covenant responsibilities. And that's exactly what the local church involvement is for us. It gives us our context for carrying out our covenant responsibilities. We can't do all the one anothering passages uh, to the, to the extent that we need to until we really put ourselves back into being involved in the local church. And so hopefully you heard that message last week and, and hopefully you've been um, intentionally thinking through and pondering what it looks like for you moving forward as an individual and as a family. Today we come to the book of Zechariah. Uh, the question that we're looking at today, does God give second chances? Does God give second chances? Because here's the thing, they have come back and they were obviously expelled from their, their, uh, their environment, their, their place of living, because of their sin and rebellion. And now God has brought them back. What, is, what does it look like now moving forward, right? How, are we being given a second chance, or are we still under God's wrath and punishment? What does it look like for us moving forward? And so Zechariah is going to help address and answer some of the questions that the people were asking. Our summary for, sentence for today is that God has very clearly given us his expectations for obedience. And although we sin and fall short of those expectations, God has made provision so that we can be forgiven and restored each time we fail due to his unfailing love for us. All right, so God has clearly given us his expectations for obedience. He gave them to Adam and Eve, and he's continually been revealing his expectations to his people throughout time. And we're not obedient to that, right? And so although we sin and fall short of those expectations, God continues to reveal who he is by making provision so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be restored, so that we can be put back into a position of a, a theoretical second chance. And, and he's doing that not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because he has an unfailing love for us, right? For our kids, when we fail to be obedient to God, he is always willing to forgive us because he loves us. He's always willing to forgive us because he loves us. I think what I've enjoyed most about our time in the Minor Prophets is that obviously um, God's word written from Genesis to Revelation is telling, is telling one massive story, right? Written by numerous authors, humanly, uh, from the human perspective, but from the spiritual perspective, right? The Holy Spirit has been writing this book uh, throughout time. And what I love about the Minor Prophets is that obviously they, they uh, match and mirror 
what we read and know about God throughout other passages, but they're just less familiar to us, right? Like we just don't go to the minor prophets as consistently as we might go to the book of Romans or the book of Ephesians. And so what I've really enjoyed about our study is seeing truths that I know about God from other passages of Scripture, but seeing them in a fresh light or, or from a new angle through the wording of the minor prophets. And so we're going to see a couple of passages like that today, uh, truths that are very familiar to us from the New Testament, but just maybe, maybe hit our heart a little bit different because they're, they're worded a little bit different. They're not a verse that we memorized in Sunday school, and so it's not a verse that we just kind of read over and, and blow right through because we know this, uh, and we have to pause a little bit and think, what does that mean? And then, and then we're able to maybe experience a, an encouragement and a refreshment from it uh, just because it's something that we haven't come to as regularly. So we'll see some of that again today too. Zechariah prophesies during the same time as, as Haggai. So again, both, both of these, and then what we look at next week with uh, Malachi, these are prophets that are coming after that exile to Babylon. So he's prophesying around the same time, 520 BC, um, and he is helping the children of Israel understand what their relationship to God looks like now that they've come back from exile. And so he's coming to inform God's people that they are getting a second chance to do things right. That God has restored them as he promised that he would. What are they going to do with this new opportunity? Haggai last week focuses on getting the place of worship right. Zechariah is going to come behind that now and make sure that the heart of worship is right for the people. Okay, so last week it was all about getting re-engaged into the spiritual realm, getting re-engaged into spiritual life. Now Zechariah is going to make sure that, hey, don't just build the temple. Don't just come back to, to worshiping God regularly on a weekly basis if the heart motive's not right, if it's not going to translate into behavioral change, right? And so Zechariah is going to help us see that, again, it's not just about rebuilding the temple. It's not just about coming back to church. It's not just about uh, re-engaging in church life here at Sovereign Hope, that the heart the motivation, the behavior has to align with that as well or else it's off or not, all right? Some continued themes that we see in this book, and this is the longest minor prophet. So this is, again, uh, a challenge being that we're gonna cover it all in one day. And so while some of the minor prophets, I feel like we've been able to really cover it to the point that I wouldn't necessarily need to come back anytime soon and, and teach that book again, today is one that we certainly can't cover all of it. There's 14 chapters and there's a lot going on in the 14 chapters, which means that maybe at some point down the road, we'll come back and look more extensively at this book. But some themes that we see here is that uh, God rules the world. He judges his people's enemies. He will dwell with his people and protect them. He will purify his people from their sin. These are things that we've been seeing throughout all the minor prophets. Now, just kind of a quick breakdown uh, of the chapters before we jump into uh, really only two sections that we're going to look at. We're going to look at a portion of chapter 1, and then we're going to look at uh, several portions of chapter 7 and chapter 8, um, because I think they particularly tie into what we've been seeing in all the other minor prophets. Zechariah is maybe a book that, that is uh, the counterpart to the book of Revelation in uh, the New Testament, so a lot of eschatology here that we're not going to touch on today just due to time constraints. Uh, again, something that we may come back and look at at a later time. So in chapters one through six, um, there's a series of eight visions that you see in this passage. Vision number one, there's four horsemen that come and are talking about peace on the earth prior to God judging the nations. Then visions two and three deal with God uh, addressing the enemies of his people while protecting his people. Then vision four 
You get the high priest Joshua symbolically being covered with the people's filth, their sin, and his need for new clothing. Then in vision five, you have God's presence being restored through the rebuilt temple. Vision six and seven, you have God dealing with the sin of his people. Uh, Vision eight, you have the four horsemen coming again, pronouncing peace after God judges the nations. So some similarities in the visions in visions two and three and six and seven, you have God's enemies being addressed and then the sin of God's people being addressed. And so what you see there is that ultimately all of opposition towards God is gonna be addressed when he comes back, right? You're gonna, you're gonna have the dealing of the people who are rebellious, sinful, and do not submit themselves to Jesus. But then you also have the dealing of sin and the purity that comes from the people of God who, who are still awaiting that state of glorification. Visions one through eight, collectively, we're seeing God as priest and king bringing peace to the whole earth. So that's chapters one through six. A lot of crazy vision type stuff going on there. Chapters seven and eight, uh, you have two sermons that are contained there. Sermon number one is chapter seven. Sermon number two is chapter eight. Uh, You have some recapping of why they've been punished. Uh, Just as a reminder that they don't make the same mistakes again, you have a looking forward to the restoration that is coming um, and, and the activity and behavior that is meant to be a part of that new restorative environment. And then chapters 9 through 14 uh, closes with a lot of promises about the enemies of God being judged. There's also a lot of allusion to Christ, him being the shepherd that comes to take care of his people. Uh, But then also there's a lot of prophecy there about the rejection of Jesus by the people of God too, by the Israelites. Um, So you get the rejecting of the shepherd, him being smitten, him being sold. A lot of prophecies uh, that are contained there um, about what happens to Jesus. And so um, trying to remember, all the, I know that, that there's, there's a reference to the 30 pieces of silver, right? Uh, there's the reference to him coming in on the donkey, right? There's the reference to him being killed, right? And so uh, a lot of things about the Messiah that point to Jesus being the fulfillment of those prophecies. Um, he's the one who fulfills those prophecies. Um, and so we get to see that here in the book of Zechariah, Uh, in these 14 chapters. All right, let's jump into the section that I really want us to focus on and what I really want us to see this morning. Um, Again, to help us see that God's given us those expectations of obedience. We fail to keep those expectations, but he makes provision for us to be forgiven. All right, so let's look in Zechariah chapter one, verse one. It says, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Ido, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Number one in our notes today is I think we, ha- we have to be reminded that we need to understand the severity of sin. And we've talked a ton about God's forgiveness and his love and his mercy and his grace and uh, all these opportunities for forgiveness. And, uh, and that's certainly true. That's certainly who God is, right? He has been very intentional. We, we said way back in Exodus 34, towards the beginning of our study, that when Moses wants to know God on a deeper level, wants to see God, God says, I'm gonna give you some insight into who I am. This is what I want to be known about me specifically in summary format, 
right? That he's a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Um, but it's important for us to, to, to see the severity of sin, specifically, number one, to not minimize that sin makes God angry. To not minimize that sin does make God angry. Right? I've been trying to be very diligent in, in the ways that I've presented God through these minor prophets that he wants to be known as a gracious God. He wants to be known as a merciful God. And we've even addressed the fact that oftentimes critics want to swoop in and, and, and steal and, and redefine who God is, steal that revelation, redefine him as a God who is strictly angry, strictly wrathful, somebody who's not worthy of loving, somebody who's not worthy of following, that, that he's, he's our our worst version of an earthly father type of a thing, who's constantly mad, constantly uh, showing that anger through his actions and his behavior. And if we're not careful, we can err to the, to the other extreme, right? That God is so merciful, that God is so gracious, that God is so loving. How could he ever punish anybody for their sin, right? And so we have to be careful because sometimes when you're trying to steer clear of one extreme, you can go so far to the other side and become extreme to the detriment, of, to, to the detriment of, of who God is as well, right? And so what we see is Zechariah reminds the people, no, the Lord was very angry with your fathers, right? Very angry with your fathers. It's appropriate for us to see God as an angry God. It should create a healthy fear in us about falling into his hands, right? When, when, we're, not, when we're not forgiven, he is an angry God towards sin, and it's appropriate for him to be angry towards sin. And what we've seen is that <clears throat> we desire that type of God, right? We desire a God who would be angry towards injustice, angry towards the things that are happening in this world that should not be happening in this world. We want him to react to that. We want him to deal with that. We want him to fix that, and we want him to punish that where it's appropriate, right? And so we don't need to minimize that because God doesn't try to minimize that. Um, he is a God who reveals himself as being very angry towards sin, which I think as he's revealing and, and making himself known to this people, this, this remnant that has come back, that what he wants them to see is that they need to learn from the mistakes of others, that the, the sin of their fathers was so, uh, was so big and, and such a, an, an, a, um, uh, an ordeal for God that, that he, had to, he had to deal with it. He had to punish it, right? And so what he's wanting them to see is that you've got to learn from those mistakes, right? Don't be dismissive of thinking that in my mercy and grace and my per preserving of a remnant that it minimizes the severity of that sin. He challenges them and says, look, don't be like your fathers. I was angry with them. Don't be like them to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways, return from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention. Your fathers, where are they? The prophets, do they live forever? These rhetorical questions, right? Where are their fathers? Their fathers are dead. They either died in battle or they died in exile. Where are the prophets that they listened to? Well, they're dead too. Um, kind of an indication to, uh, to these new group of people listening to this message that, hey, Time expired for your fathers to get things right. The prophets died. Their message uh, stopped, right? Um, and, and, and what are you going to learn from that? What are you going to learn from the fact that, that God had to step in and deal with their sin, um, that they didn't get things right, they didn't repent, they didn't come, they didn't turn from their evil ways? Um, and in fact, they had even contributed to the uh, removal of the prophets by killing some of them. 
We need to understand the severity of sin because God is very clear here as Zechariah begins. These people have come home. They're starting to rebuild the temple. They're starting to recreate their their lives in the promised land. What is it going to look like moving forward? Is God giving us a second chance? Yeah, don't forget the fact that I was real angry with the sin. Don't forget what your fathers did, Um, which I think is is a good indicator to us too that like we learn from the mistakes of uh, from those around us, even those who have gone before us, right? Like all of us can kind of think through um, mistakes that maybe even our parents have made, sins that our parents have committed. Um, and it doesn't make us any better than them, but uh, we certainly ought to learn from those mistakes. We ought to, we ought to learn from those failures and not, and not repeat those, right? He says, don't do what your fathers did. Don't uh, have the word being explained and taught and you ignore it and you fail to repent and you fail to turn. Learn from those mistakes. In Second Chronicles chapter 36, Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15, it says, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Right? The, the fathers had, had rejected the word, stayed in their sin, and it led to God's judgment. It led to God's punishment. So God wants the people to know, don't make the same mistake again. Don't make the same mistake again. Number two, Take responsibility for your sinful actions. Take responsibility for your sinful actions. In in verse 6, the people respond that God has been very appropriate in his actions. It says, But my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? Basically, did not what the prophets said come true? Did they not overtake your fathers eventually, right? Not by your father's repenting and getting things right, but ultimately that message of doom did come upon them, right? And it says, so they repented, the people listening, they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. It's appropriate, they're saying, for what God has done, right? His sin, our sins justified God stepping in and and taking action. And so they're repenting of of even some of the things that they have been doing and coming back to the promised land that their fathers were guilty of as well. Number one, hear the word of God and admit your sins. Hear the word of God and admit your sins. Fast forwarding into the book into uh, chapter seven, where we get that first sermon in the book. I wanna draw your attention to verse eight. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 8. It says, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. I don't think there's anything new there that we haven't seen in all the other minor prophets. I mean, this is just kind of God's standard for how we coexist with each other. Even as sinful beings who are awaiting God to come and fix all the sin problems in the world, 
he has this expectation of how we're to live with each other, right? He says that we're to render true judgments or we're to, we're to show true justice in our interactions with each other. We show kindness, we show mercy. We don't oppress those who are in that, that category of the less fortunate, right? The widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, the sojourner, the poor. These are all people who, who have greater needs than your average person in society. Somebody who has lost something or is missing something, right? Um, whether it's from a, uh, in a relational standpoint, the widow, the, um, the fatherless, the, the sojourner, somebody who uh, maybe doesn't have family around them, right? Uh, the, the poor. He says, let, let, let none of you oppress those people. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart, right? We've seen God constantly addressing the violence. But not just physical violence. Like we've talked about what it looks like to be verbally violent towards others, to... Uh, to attack others from a state of rivalry or conceit, right? And, and, and so God's saying, like, that's not to be the environment here. But as he looks to the past, how the people of Israel have acted in the past, verse 11, but they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law in the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate." Like we have a responsibility to hear the word and admit our sins and not let our hearts become what, what's described here as diamond hard to the truth, right? This, this is a passage that I, say, I, would, I would say is like one of those that, hey, like we've heard before, like don't harden your hearts, right? The book of Hebrews talks about not hardening your hearts, but there's like a special little, little add-on here, like, hey, don't make it diamond hard, Right? That picture of diamond hard, like, like don't fool yourself even the, in thinking that your, your actions or resistance is, is pretty beautiful, right? Like he's saying, look, like you, need to, you need to examine yourself and see the sin, see the rebellion, see the things that need to be fixed. Every time you come under the teaching of God's word, every time you come under the reading of God's word. So whether it's coming here on a Sunday morning or whether it's sitting down uh, during the week and just spending time reading God's word, as you come under the word and conviction comes into your heart, we have to do something with that. We can't, we can't develop some type of habit that it's appropriate or okay to sit and hear God's word, be convicted about it, and then do nothing with it, right? It creates this callousness that's being described here. And he says, if you're not careful, that becomes the norm where you're being told to live a certain way. You're choosing to do otherwise. You're ignoring the warnings. And that's when God steps in in his great anger. And why I think it's so important that we re-engage in, in our proverbial rebuilding of the temple right now, right? Us, us rebuilding church life here at Sovereign Hope when we've been separated from each other for so long is that what we've kind of talked about as elders recently is that our, our gatherings have been so infrequent, right? That uh, attendance at D groups and C groups has been such hit or miss for some of our groups that when we do gather in these settings right now, there's a level of awkwardness about being open and transparent about the things that we need to be open and transparent about because we haven't been mixing it up with each other in our lives as, as much lately, right? We were at a state way back in, in February and March 
where we were kind of humming along and we were seeing each other regularly and people were being invited into our homes regularly. We were fellowshipping outside of the Sunday context. We were, we were uh, maybe consistent with our D group and C group gatherings. You knew what to expect. And, and as you came and have conversations with people, there was a willingness to be open and transparent. And, and right now, because we've been so disconnected, there's the tendency for us to be closed off. And that's the danger because I think in and of ourselves, we are, we are prone to be diamond hard towards God's word. I think Hebrews warns us against that in Hebrews chapter three. Verse seven and eight. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my uh, wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So what's the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying the exact same thing that Zechariah is saying, right? Don't hear God's word and ignore it and grow hard to it. Saying the exact same thing. But he adds on something here that I think is the, the crucial piece for us protecting our hearts from becoming diamond hard. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What's the missing piece there that's so needed for us to guard and protect against this state? It's each other, right? We have to have each other involved in our lives or else we are prone to become the diamond-hearted heart. We're prone to fall into the same trap that the Old Testament Israelites fell into, whether it's way back here at the very beginning where they're in the wilderness before they even get to the promised land or the group that Zechariah is addressing who were in the promised land and had the temple and all the glories taking place with Solomon and, and the kings, right? And yet they too fell into the trap of being hardened in their heart. And Hebrews tells us the key to not falling into that state, the key to protecting your heart and keeping it soft, keeping it open to what God wants to say to you when you come to his word is having other people in your life that tell you when you're growing hard, who tell you when you're missing something. And that, that, that's, that's that, that comfortability for one, for one to speak to somebody's heart like that. And then two, the comfortability for someone to res- receive that type of speaking, right? That takes, that takes intentional relationships. One, for somebody to feel comfortable to come to somebody and say, hey, I, I think I need to address something with you. I think I need to help you see a blind spot in your area. Man, most people aren't conf- conflict prone, right? Most people don't love uh, the, the type of conversations that they know could result in conflict. Most of us shy away from that. Most of us shy away from that. And so to have the comfortability to be able to go and sit and talk with somebody about a blind spot in their area, and then for that person to hear that conversation and receive it well, that takes intentional relationships. And, and Hebrews invites us to have that type of relationship that we would exhort one another on a daily basis so that we don't grow hard and de- hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. Hear the word of God, admit your sins, don't let your heart become diamond hard. Number two, run to God rather than away from God. Run to God rather than away from God, right? So back in Zechariah, God tells them about his, his angry feelings towards sin. And then he tells them what to do about it. 
The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And think about like what, what, what is our, our natural fleshly tendency to do towards danger or towards anger, right? It's to run away from it. Adam and Eve modeled that for us way back at the very beginning. They sin against God, they anticipate his anger, and they go hide from him. They go hide from him, right? Our kids probably experience this a lot of times too. When, when they know they've done something that's gonna make mom or dad angry, they wanna hide from it because there's, there's maybe a lot of things going on there. One, I don't wanna admit that I'm wrong. I don't wanna have to, to confess that I'm wrong. I don't wanna have to fix this. Two, I'm worried about what mom and dad are gonna do. I'm worried about the punishment that's gonna be administered, right? And so God says, look, I'm angry, but the encouragement is, he says, come to me because I'm angry, right? Come to me, return to me so that I can return to you, so that I can change the way that I'm gonna interact with you. It's real similar. Again, this is a passage that, mirror something that we see in a different part of Scripture, and it's mirroring what we see in James chapter 4. Another passage that's very heavy on um, our confession and repentance. James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Verse 8, what does it say? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your, let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's the same message that James has for us, that when we've done something to offend a holy God, when we have, when we have done something that would stir his anger, right? we run to him, confessing that to him. We don't, we don't run and hide. We run to him. God's call to return to me implies the second chance opportunity, implies his forgiveness, right? It's communicating his Exodus 34 attributes of being slow to anger, merciful, gracious, steadfast in his love, right? When he says, come to me when I'm angry towards you, it's an invitation to come, to to come and repent, to know that, hey, I don't have to fear that anger. I don't have to fear his action towards me because he's not just an angry God. Right? He's not just a wrathful God. He's a God of mercy and grace and steadfast love. Number three, though, we have to express true repentance by desiring inward change. In chapter seven of Zechariah, the people are hearing this message, and it says in verse two of chapter seven, now the people of Bethel had sent Sherazar and Regum Melelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth months as I have done for so many years? What are they asking there? They are asking, as the temple's being rebuilt, as we're kind of reverting back to our old spiritual way of life from the positive standpoint, right? They're, they're asking, do we have to continue with our fasting practices? Are, are, are you expecting us to go back to fasting on this time frame that you had previously given to us? And God doesn't really give them a, a yes or no answer here. Instead, he helps them to see that he's less concerned with them falling back into these religious practices, and he's far more concerned with their motive and their behavior as a result of those practices. Right? So fast forward to, to our day and age right now. What, what God's not primarily concerned about is us regathering on Sunday mornings and going to C groups and going to D groups. 
if our motives and our behaviors aren't going to be impacted by that gathering. That, that, that's not the end goal. The end goal isn't for us to repack our room with all of our members on a regular basis. The goal is not to see high attendance in C group, high attendance in D group. If everybody's just coming because they feel like they have to or they're supposed to, but there's no real heart engagement with it. God doesn't tell them, hey, yeah, go back to fasting on the fifth month, right? It says in verse four, then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words of the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous? Were there cities around her in the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. Right? That's what God's concerned about. He says, look, I'm not going to answer the question about should you be fasting or not. I'm going to ask you a question. What were you doing those things for? Were you doing it to impress somebody? Were you doing it to impress me? What was your motive behind it? Right? And then did your fasting alert you to the areas that you were wrong about and cause you to change because it, it, it didn't, right? Like he kind of, he says, look, you're, you're fasting. If it was being done appropriately and your motive was right, you would have been the type of people who rendered true judgment, showed kindness and mercy, didn't oppress the, the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner. But in fact, you, you were doing those things. You, you were being sinful, right? And so He's far more concerned with our motives and our behavior versus our religious actions. Now, does that minimize the religious actions completely? No, like we need to, we need to gather. They needed to, to perform these fasts. They needed to be a part of their spiritual culture. But that wasn't the end in itself, right? And so we need to gather on Sunday mornings. We need to be faithful because God has commanded us to do those things. But we can't just check that box and say, all right, like, I did, what, I did what I heard Adam saying, I've, I've re-engaged and, and I'm present, right? I'm here, you know, check me off the attendance record. But if our, if our motives aren't right, if our heart's not right, if we're not, if we're not coming to be changed, if we're not coming to submit ourselves to what God's word has to say to our heart, if we're coming with diamond hearts, then, then we, haven't, we haven't achieved what God is desiring for us, Right? We hear the word of God. We run to God when, when we're sinful. We express true repentance by desiring inward change. Number three, we embrace and reflect his continual love. Look what it says in Zechariah chapter eight. It says, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy. I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. What we get to see here is, is maybe a, a, the same type of picture we're seeing in the book of Hosea, where it's all about God's love and not ours back to him that, 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 that keeps him faithful to us, right? Like he's saying, look, despite your failure, despite your inconsistency, despite your diamond-heartedness towards me, I still love you. I'm still super jealous for you. And I'm gonna still keep coming for you and coming for you and coming for you. And you can resist me and I'm gonna keep coming for you. 
man, he is steadfast in his love, right? He doesn't abandon us when we're wandering from him. He communicates that in here in Zechariah 8. We need to understand that, that the forgiveness that, that comes to us is from his saving grace. I love, this, is, this was my, my favorite verse that I came across in, in my study in Zechariah. It's in chapter 8, verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, as I purposed to bring my judgment, as purposeful and as intentional as I was to bring that judgment, he says, I am going to be equally purposeful and intentional in bringing good to you. I mean, that, that, that oftentimes is so far from the type of people that we are, right? Um, we are very quick to respond, very intentional, sometimes very purposeful in our, uh, in our anger, in our frustration, in the discipline that we might administer, and then oftentimes we, we fail in comparison when it comes to our intentionality and purposefulness in, in being good, right? God says like, look, as, as intentional as I was about communicating uh, judgment and wrath and carrying that out and carrying it out to the fullest where, where you guys were exiled, he says, I'm gonna be as equally purposeful and intentional in bringing good to you. Like I, I'm gonna work this plan intentionally. Verse 16, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Love no false oath for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. He, he reappeals to them to live the ways that he's calling them to live. God's forgiveness and salvation are designed to clean us thoroughly in his eyes. So as we come running back to him, he's willing to cleanse us. We see this in Zechariah chapter three. This picture of, of Joshua the high priest. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. So he's the priest, he's representing the people, and he's filthy, he's dirty, he's sinful. He's got the sins of the people applied to him. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. It's a beautiful picture of what God does to us in our forgiveness. He takes our sin and gives us the clean clothes. He gives us the righteousness so that we can stand before him. Number two, we have to help others understand the same forgiveness too. Back in Zechariah chapter eight, that second sermon. If we will do these things that we're talking about, that God's commanding us to do, if we'll, if we'll have sensitive hearts, if we'll re-engage spiritually, but not just do it from the outward side of things, not just rebuild a temple, not just start attending, not just start fasting and performing sacrifices, but if we'll really re-engage Right? If we'll really get back involved from a spiritual standpoint and soften our hearts and not harden them, respond to God's word, come to him when we need forgiveness because we'll continually need it. 
right? And we can experience that washing and that cleansing from him. This is what will be the result. In Zechariah chapter eight, verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord, to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. What's being pictured there is that if the children of Israel will live their life in such a way where they are submitted to God, they're experiencing his forgiveness, they're experiencing his blessing, right? That others will see that. As others interact with them, they will be drawn to the God of the Old Testament, right? This isn't, this isn't that, that all of a sudden God becomes evangelistic in the New Testament. This is Old Testament God, right? This is Old Testament God saying, I want people of all nations to come to me. I want all peoples to see and hear about me through my people and to be drawn to me through the experience that they're getting from my people, right? It goes back to what we talked about, our responsibility to image God well. Right? Our responsibility in our interaction with others is to show God to them, right? to, to take these attributes that we're learning about in the minor prophets and to exhibit those in our interactions with, with the people that we come in contact with so they are drawn to our heavenly father. I was having a conversation with a teacher this week. I told you previously in the minor prophets that when, when, when my teachers, uh, sometimes they are very harsh and very strict and very dogmatic about things that I constantly have to show grace to them about, right? And so I'm having a conversation with this teacher and she is dug in on this issue, right? She does not wanna move from it. And so we're working through it and I'm being as gracious as I know to be with her. And I'm even prompting her, her and reminding her, the grace that I'm asking you to show to this student is the same grace you're gonna need from me at some point this year, right? I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not gonna be willing to show you potentially very soon, right? She's dug in on it. Right? And by the end of the conversation, she's softened to it enough to where we've come to an agreement for how we're going to handle the situation, even though it's not the ideal handling for her. Right? And I kid you not, the next morning, during our prayer time, she has to come and sit next to me. Right? And she has to look at me and she say, you're not going to believe it, but I need your grace today because I screwed up. Right? I just kind of laughed at her and said, I got it for you. Right? Like I'm ready to give that to you. Right? It's the same grace that I'm asking you to show to others. Right? I'm ready to give that to you. And it's what God tells us in his word, right? Like, I've forgiven you of much. How can you not be somebody who goes and forgives others? Right? How could you ever hold a grudge or, or, or be unwilling to forgive and soften your heart to somebody else when, when I'm readily available and readily offering that to you? We wanna live in such a way where we model God in such a way where others are drawn to him. They get a better picture of who he is through their interaction with us. Our application questions for today that I want to kind of leave you with to ponder. Are we putting ourselves in position to hear the word of God and are we remaining sensitive to its leading? As we, talk, as, as we, as we try to flesh out and live out what we were challenging you with last week about re-engaging in, in church life here at Sovereign Hope, right? Evaluating and considering your ways. Is our Sunday attendance pattern reflective of where we are at in other areas of our life, right? Are we re-engaging here or, or are we failing to re-engage here and yet re-engaging in a bunch of other areas, 
right? We can't be people that go to Friday night football games and are fearful about gathering with the, with the people of God on Sunday morning, right? Are we, are we putting ourselves in position to hear the word of God and are we remaining sensitive to its leading? Are we, are we gonna put ourselves under the word of God on Sundays? Are we gonna re-engage with, with our uh, Bible study that we're doing through our D groups with the book of Philippians, right? Are we gonna be intentional with that? Are we gonna allow change to occur in our life as a fruit of that? Are we gonna gather for the importance of fellowship with our C groups? We're not asking any more from our C group gatherings than for you to just get together and enjoy each other right now, right? Because we recognize we've been so disconnected that the concepts of trying to get together and, and talk and hash out some of the things that we're learning in scripture just may feel awkward right now a little bit because there's not the same vulnerability right now that we might would have that we had previously before we all went into quarantine. Are we being faithful to put ourselves under the teaching of God's word though? And are we being sensitive to its leading? Are we responding in the ways that the Holy Spirit's convicting us? Number two, are we imaging God well in our actions so that others are drawn to him too? Because God says here in Zechariah, look, I was angry towards your sin. I'm willing to forgive it. All right, second chances are always available with me. You come running to me and I'm ready to clean up the clothes, right? I'm ready to, I'm ready to give you something new to wear, right? Um, but then he, he gives us this responsibility. Look, look, go and be people who love justice, who love mercy, who love grace, who know how to show kindness, who are aware of the people that are in more need than your average person. Be super sensitive to them. Don't oppress them, right? And so we wanna be aware of those things as we leave here on a Sunday and as we go through our week. We want to be aware of the people that we interact with and how we can show God to them. All right, let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you uh, that you are a God of grace and mercy. We are thankful that um, you are angry towards sin because we get angry towards sin. Um, we see injustices and we want them dealt with. And so God, we're thankful that as we try to make sure that we don't fall prey to the false teaching that you're only an angry God, you're only a wrathful God, God, we don't want to err to the other extreme that you're never angry towards sin. And so, God, we're thankful that you do communicate anger towards sin. But, God, we are thankful that you are a God who we can run to when you're angry and not run from out of fear. Um, That you're ready to embrace us despite your anger towards our actions. God, help us to to have sensitive, uh, open hearts to your word every time that it's taught. God, we don't ever want to be people as dis- that are described as diamond-hearted. God, help us to invite people into our life to help protect us from ever growing hard like that. God, help us to re-engage in church life here to where that vulnerability is recreated once again if it's not there right now. If we've been so distant and so quarantined that it's hard to open our lives up and, and hear from others speaking into our life and it's hard for us to receive that. It's hard for us to even speak it into somebody's life, maybe. God, I pray that you would tear down the walls of awkwardness and, and God, I pray that you'd make us vulnerable again, once, once again, to each other, to hear from each other, to, to be encouraged and to be challenged by each other. And God, I pray that we would, we would mirror you and image you well this week. God, help us to be mindful of the things that we're learning and how it should impact our interaction with others around us. And God, help us to be intentional to even share with others around us why we are choosing to interact with them the way that we are. God, help us don't to, don't, not, not to miss the fact that we're not called to just be good people that get celebrated by people because of the type of interaction that we have, but we're to point them to you. And so God, help us to be intentional about making sure they know why we act the way that we do, why we desire to be the type of people that we desire to be. 
And it's because we were created in your image to image you well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.